Yellen sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. I'm your host, Tyler. You can find me on Twitter at Tyler Kurth or read my articles at Reviewing the Brew on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod or find us on Facebook by searching the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy and also now on YouTube by searching the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy as well. Joining me, as always, is my cheesehead-loving buddy, Trevor. He is the host of the Trilogy Podcast. He can be found on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. Trevor, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Pretty good day at work today. Kind of, again, we're just, like, getting this out early uh, during the Brewers offseason. <laughs> um, so a little bit strange time again for us. It might be the new norm, who knows? Uh, but it opens up the weekend for us, or at least Sunday's up for us a little bit. Um, but overall, pretty good. Work's actually going semi-fast this week. Got some new projects I'm working on at work, so everything's going good. And then I got home and just got to recording the podcast, the Packers podcast with you, and got to rip on the Vikings for signing Kirk Cousins to a two year $66 million extension. So, you know, it's, it's been a pretty good day. If only we could rip on the fucking Four. Dodgers, but <laughs> fortunately we can't because <laughs> they're now World Series champions. So, Oh, I still will. I still will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That'll be the only positive talk about the Dodgers this entire podcast. So we'll <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> Anyway, last week we talked about potential free agents at the offensive position. So now this week we are going to switch over to the pitching side in specifics to starting pitching. I didn't really want to focus on any relief pitchers because the Brewers have a pretty decent bullpen and there's just so many damn guys it's hard to keep track of. So at least there's a a slightly smaller list with the starting pitchers. So... Is there anything you want to talk about before we get started in this? Yeah, and this is, okay, I don't know if this is, like, for real, but people are talking about this like this is for real, and I'm not okay with it. What the fuck is up with the, oh, Josh Hader is getting traded? What? What? You don't just get rid of good players. Oh, he's he's making a lot of money now. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's making still arbitration numbers. Like, it's not like he's making $15 million a year. Chris Yelich is making a lot of money, and he performed like shit this year. So if you're going to complain about money, that should be the place you go to. What, why are we trading Josh Hader? He, the last two years, he won NL Reliever of the Year. This year, if it wasn't for 
Devin Williams, he probably would have been a finalist again. Like, he is an incredible player. Why are we just like, ah, too much money, let's trade him? No, let's let's cut Ryan Braun, let's cut, you know, players that aren't very good. Eric Sogard, like, there's, there's plenty of guys on this team that aren't very good. And if we're going to cut players in the bullpen, like, let's get... Corey Knebel out the door before we're fucking trading Josh Hader. Like, that does not make any sense to me whatsoever. Well, you've now sparked our next week podcast conversation. So I have a really fun idea for how to do all the Josh Hader rumors. So we will dive into that next week. We'll let you channel it down there. I can see the steam coming out of your ears. So... <laughs> All right, let's go back here to free agency, starting pitchers. So the Brewers, I think, obviously have locks in Woodruff and Burns next year. And then you have question marks who for guys who are going to be on the team and Hauser, Lindblom, Lauer, and then Peralta. Uh, that's another, again, another topic for a different. <laughs> he only started one game this year. Um, we just so, signed him to a five-year deal. Oh, yeah. But I don't know if he's going to be a starter or not is what I'm saying. Oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's a topic for another com- time. If he's going to be a starter or a relief pitcher, um, yeah. Brett Anderson just became a free agent as of the Dodgers winning the World Series. Oh, I said I wouldn't say it again, but I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, there are some internal options down on the farm: Dylan File, Alex Bettinger, Zach Brown, Ethan Small, and then I put Anton Kelly in there as well because he had a really good time. Uh, at the alternative training site this season. So, with that being said, are there any free agents who catch your eye who are available? I'll let you pick the first one today. Okay, um, before we get to that, you mentioned internal options. Is is Drew Rasmussen strictly a bullpen arm at this point? Like, is that all he's going to be? Or does he have potential to potentially move into that starting rotation? I'm really glad you mentioned Drew Rasmussen because throughout the minor leagues, he actually started quite a few games. 23 of his 27 appearances in 2019 were starts. So, yeah, I'd say he could be a starter. Um, Whether or not they decide to do that, I do not know. Fair enough. You never really know. Like, after the first year he was in the majors, I think we were still talking about Josh Hader potentially being in the starting rotation. But that just might not be the role that they have set out for Drew Rasmussen. It'll be interesting to see. I would bet probably a bullpen arm, but I'm not really 100% sure on that. I'd kind of agree with you there in that assessment. So we'll see what Council does there. As for true free agents, sorry I lied, you don't get to pick the first one. I'm going to choose Kevin Gossman to talk about. So I kind of broke our list here down into tiers. So like there are some cheaper options, some guys who are like kind of on the bubble in the Brewers price range, and then there are obviously guys that's like, not a chance. <laughs> so we'll start in tier one, the low money options. And Kevin Gosman's that first guy I want to talk about. He pitched for a long time with the O's. And as you can imagine, he kind of got lost there because the O's really suck. <laughs> he ended up getting trade to the Braves in 2018. He was phenomenal in those 10 starts of that year, posted 287 ERA. In 2019, for whatever reason, he lost it. He got the yips. He was terrible. Ends up being DFA'd by the Braves, claimed off waivers by the Reds, and then the Reds decided not to retain him after that season because he was just going to cost too much, and he didn't pitch well enough to earn it. So he signed a one-year deal with the Giants this year and pitched quite well. 
for a $9 million deal, I thought it was really generous, but he posted a 3-2-6 ERA in his 10 starts this year, only failed to pitch a minimum of five innings twice. So a solid inning eater, relies primarily on a fastball, throws that 49% of the time, change up 42% of the time, sits in the mid-90s with his fastball, and then mid-80s with that changeup. And the cool part about his changeup is it actually possesses a lot of that horizontal break, um, similar Okay, nothing similar to Devin Williams, but his breaks 13 inches horizontally, whereas Williams is 18. Um, and then over the last two years, Kevin Gossman has posted K per nine ratios over 11. So what do you think about him? He sounds like potentially of this, you know, of the players I've looked at kind of in this tier that you have laid out for me, like to me, he probably sounds like the most interesting. Having a guy with that kind of movement on his changeup or whatever you call that pitch. Um, I think that is definitely something that interests me in terms of a low level guy. Like he seems like still an upgrade over, you know, Brett Anderson who we're losing or, you know, even Josh Lindblom. Like he's, he still feels like a step up from those guys. And then, like, I was looking at Michael Waka and Alex Wood, guys that, like, I've definitely wanted in previous years and guys I've been excited about. But you look at their stats, and I'll start with Michael Waka. He's been a guy I've been clamoring for probably since 2016, <laughs> something like that. I don't know exactly. Um, but, you know, you look from 2013 when he got into the league as a 21-year-old, which is crazy, to 2017. If you look at his numbers, his ERA was pretty good. 2016, it was 5.09, but his FIP was actually under 4 at 3.91. Um, so maybe pitching into a little bit of bad luck that year. But you further look into that FIP, he did not have a single year over four for his FIP. So he was pitching extremely well. 2018 came along 4.22, still not terrible, you know, respectable end of the rotation type of guy. But the thing that concerns me is that these last three years goes from 4.22 in 2018, like I said, up to 5.61 and 5.25 uh, this past year. And that that's concerning to me, like two years in a row of struggling kind of concerns me. And then it's almost identical for Alex Wood. You look back for Alex Wood, 2013, he was in the league as well. And then you look all the way up to 2018, there wasn't a full MLB season that he was above a four for his FIP. And then 2019, 6.38, or 2020, 5.01 so like just not good numbers from these guys in the last two years and you know you think maybe they can bounce back after a bad year you know you kind of expect guys to bounce back you know regress to the mean type of thing but these guys have had it in back-to-back -back years maybe that means you know they're gonna have a really good year next year but it just like makes me question if spending money on them even if it is a little amount is kind of worrisome because then you're you know you have them in the starting rotation and they're not performing how long does council stay with them all of those types of things that come along with signing a player like that i mean the good thing is like michael Waka last year signed a deal with the mets for three million dollars just super cheap and then you think again with Waka and wood here the biggest thing is 
can either of these guys stay healthy? <laughs> I mean, Wood barely pitched this year, but yet was still on the postseason roster for the Dodgers. Waka spent some time in the aisle with shoulder inflammation this year. And I think, you know, when you compare these two, they both have really good upsides when healthy. It's just a matter of are you going to see them reach that level again? I don't really know. And when I kind of look at these two, I mean, Wood has kind of like that awkward arm delivery, and obviously he's a lefty, so that has some benefit to it. And Michael Waka, I I really like his stuff, even though he's not overall like super overpowering. His fastball is not really straight. He mixes in his changeup a good amount, 30%, so he keeps hitters off balance. Um, And then he also throws in a cutter there that breaks the opposite way, although his cutter has like literally the least amount of break to it that I've ever seen on a cutter it's terrible um actually when it's compared on stack gas here to pitchers with a similar velocity it is negative 14 percent less break compared to other mlb pitchers that's how little it breaks <laughs> um so yeah really when we talk about these three guys like i'm gonna go back up to gosman here because i think he's the most intriguing out of the first three guys we've mentioned here and I feel like the market, if it's going to be slow this year, given teams, you know, lost money this year and we don't really know what to expect, I don't think he's going to be getting around that $9 million like he was he got in 2020. So could it get down closer to five? I think there's a very realistic chance of that for Kevin Gosman. Yeah, and one other guy I was looking at kind of in this price tier, um, and a guy pretty familiar with as being a Brewers fan, is Anthony... Diskilofani, and I always butcher it. I know how to say it, but I always mess it up. Um, he is a guy that I like. I kind of like, like if for that price range that we're talking about, I kind of like the gamble with him. Um, he is a little bit older than Michael Waka and Alex Wood, which seems weird because I feel like we've been talking about those two players forever. But Diskilofani is an interesting guy. You know, you look at some of his numbers, a career 429 ERA, his fit for his career 425. So those numbers over a career should even out pretty well, and they do for him. Um, You know, he had a terrible 2020, terrible 2020. He had a fit of 6.1. ERA was 7.22, just terrible. But Maybe that is the one player you take a chance on because he only had one down here and he's been pretty solid throughout his career. You know, if you if you're spending minimal money on this this guy and you're expecting, you know, a Josh Lindboom role like four or five, like if that's what you're getting out of him, you're not spending a lot of money and he could probably perform to your number three if he gets back to kind of what he was doing earlier on in his career. That's something that is pretty interesting to me. You look back, 2016, he had a 3.28 earn run average. 2019, he had a 3.89. Uh, that year, I think, was maybe a little bit of luck. You know, the difference is half a percentage point um, for, from fifth to ERA. So, like, not a huge amount, but definitely half a point is a little bit significant there. But overall, I think he's a guy that, you know, getting that bounce back, I think, is going to be something that he does. I don't know entirely why, because like I said, he's a little bit older than those other guys. But I just have a feeling he's going to be able to bounce back from a rough 2020. 
Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, you mentioned the age, but I mean, that's typically when pitchers of that age, you're starting to really like work on your finesse a lot and you're controlling the ball a lot more. And the good part with Discofani is he's still hitting that high velocity. This year is fastball and his sinker. We're still at 95 miles an hour. So that's cooking pretty good. His slider is in at 86-ish, somewhere in that range. So, I mean, he really kind of fits that mold because the Brewers like their pitchers to have two variations of fastballs. You know, normally it's that four-seamer or two-seamer, and then usually like a sinker or a cutter. It seems like it's the theme with this team. So Discofani fits that, that bill there, and he's not a very like high strikeout guy. So it's kind of like you're replacing what you expected out of Brett Anderson if you'd go and sign Discofani this year. Um, just obviously he's a righty, whereas Brett Anderson was a lefty. Um, but kind of similar, like pitch to contact. Obviously, Brett Anderson was a lot slower in terms of velocity. So um, I think Discofani has some upside there in that regard and should be able to sign for less than $5 million, which is also very encouraging as well. Yeah, and I, I briefly looked back at this, you know, just I took two random years. 2015 and 2019, he pitched both 31 games that year, started all 31 of those. And in 2015, he pitched 184 innings. 2019, he pitched 166. So if you break that down, you know, that's averaging in 2019, 5.35 innings per outing, and then 5.93 that other year in 2015. So, you know, if you're getting, you know, a solid inning and a third to close to six innings every time out, especially as a low money starter, you know, a guy that's third or fourth or fourth or fifth probably in your rotation, that seems like a win to me. And that, and that seems like something he would be able to do and bounce back to that level of player. Yeah, I completely get what you're saying there, and it sounds like something Stearns would kind of jump all over, and it just, you know, it would help. He's coming from a division foe. Maybe you can provide some insight there on the Reds. So a little added bonus there as well. So the next guy I want to talk about is Tan Walker. So the guy was, he has like a really weird history. Originally drafted by the Mariners, Traded to the Diamondbacks in 2016, elects free agency after 2019 to sign with the Mariners again, and then he gets traded by the Mariners again. <laughs> so traded by the same team twice. Uh, this time he ends up going to Toronto, um, pitched fairly decent this year, um, which is kind of why he is intriguing to me. But he has he has three different really good pitches. He's got a fastball, cutter, and a sinker. So lots of velo there in that regard. Uh, low to mid-90s with the fastballs, cutters mid-80s, and then sinker gets up into the 90s again. And then he also mixes in a split change and a curve. So really good five-pitch mix there. And when he's right, he can work deep into games. It's just the problem is he doesn't have a consistent track record of doing this throughout the years. Um, So it could be someone who signs for around that $5 million mark. Yeah, that... That's definitely an interesting option. Sorry about the fire alarms. My neighbor doesn't know how to cook, and our fire alarms, because we live in the same house, are connected. So the one counter I have to this is he has kind of gotten a little lucky through his career. You know, I I like the FIP and ERA comparisons. I think 
it makes a lot of sense to actually see how a pitcher's pitching versus, you know, lucking into some outs, different things like that. So to me, you know, a FIP of 4.24 to an ERA of 3.84 over the career, you know, we just mentioned that, you know, over a career, and he's been in the league since 2013, so it you know, he has a significant amount of time in the league. So you'd think that maybe those numbers would be a little bit closer. At this point, they're 0.4 off or whatever that math is. Um, and and that's something that concerns me a little bit going into Miller Park. Like, would that affect him a lot? Would, it, would that, like, you know, his FIP has an average of 4.24. Would that mean in Miller Park his ERA turns to you know, 4.84 rather than 3.84. Yeah, it's always hard to tell. I mean, I get, completely get what you're saying with the luck point there, and I think his inconsistencies kind of really speak to that as well. I mean, so it would be a little bit of a gamble there um, with signing him, but again, would be kind of that lower tier option for the Brewers. I do want to shift kind of into the on the bubble for the Brewers price range, and the first guy I want to talk about is Mike Miner. He's really a tough guy to figure out. He came up with the Braves in the early 2000s and had seasons ERAs of 4.14, 4.12, 3.21, and then 4.77, all with the Braves. So, you know, not bad, nothing outstanding. He ends up signing as a free agent with the Royals in the 2017 season where he was just dominant strictly as a bullpen pitcher. After that year, he's like, okay, I'm going to go be a starter again. Goes to the Rangers, and his first year back has a 4.18 ERA. Um, and then 2019, he was actually in Cy Young candidates. He was lights out at times, an all-star. He was eighth that year in the votes, like I mentioned, and, and ended up uh, with a 3.59 ERA. And then, of course, this year in 2020, he was struggled um, because of the contract year. He was traded to the A's where he again struggled some more. Um, so he typically has been around that $9 million a year range. Like I said, he's a tough guy to figure out. Where he's going to fall, I have no idea, but I do think he is a very intriguing option. Yeah, I think a lot of these guys that you have listed here in this tier are they're intriguing, and I feel like they're a little bit higher ceiling. But for the extra money, is it worth it when they're still not ultra consistent? Like it's still like you're paying an extra five million or whatever it happens to be to these guys. It's still not like, oh, you feel like extremely, extremely confident with them as your third starter or anything like that. Because like you have Mike Miner here and like you mentioned, it's just like all over the place for him. You look at Tyler Chatwood kind of the same thing you know you look at Robbie Ray um, a guy that you know his his career FIP is 4.12 career RA 4.26 that doesn't sound like any better than what we were talking about in that low level tier so and it just seems like that's kind of the case I think Tyler Chatwood's the same kind of example it's, it's just, there's a lot of like this, and, and it happens in MLB, especially for pitchers, but hitters as well. You know, you have big up and downs because you miss your spot, and if you miss your spot for a month at a time by inches, that can turn a sub-3 ERA to 
uh, five or greater ERA very easily. So, like, I get why there's so much inconsistencies, but to me, with the Brewers as an organization, they don't have the money the Yankees, the Dodgers have. So, if you're going to have those inconsistencies, why not take a little bit less, you know, pay pay a guy like, you know, Kevin Gossman or even Michael Waka, Alex Wood, who I'm not thrilled about. But to me, that makes more sense to spend less money to have a guy that's inconsistent. So like this range, unless there's a guy that really stands out to me um, that I like really feel confident in and their stuff, you know, they're starting to come around a little bit. You, you've seen some changes, you know, those types of things. I don't, I don't really love the options here. It's either, you know, bargain hunts to me or you spend all the money because if you spend the money in the middle ground to me, it just, it seems like what the Vikings are doing with Kirk Cousins, right? You know, they're spending that money and they're just going to stay in mediocrity forever as long as Kirk Cousins is on their team. Only you would find a way to bring Kirk Cousins <laughs> into this podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Twice already this podcast. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do completely get what you're saying. It makes sense. I mean, when you look at, like, Robbie Ray you were talking about, I mean, he's got that mid-'90s fastball. He possesses a lot of swing and miss stuff, but he also just runs into trouble at the time. And you look at another guy, I don't think Porcello is on this list, heavy sinker baller, generates a lot of contact, doesn't walk guys, but can get hit around from time to time. And all these guys are going to be near double digits for their average annual value for contracts. So... I completely get what you're saying. If you're gonna, if you really want to bolster the starting rotation, you just have to go all out. And I mean, you might be able to do that. The Brewers have done it with hitters before. Yasmani Grandal, that was a one-year, eighteen million dollar deal. Could they look to do the same thing with starting pitchers, especially because starting pitching is actually a strength of this ball club? Maybe I don't know. There is definitely an argument there for it. As long as we're talking about it, that is a really good transition into some of the really high-tier guys who are going to cost a lot of money. I wrote four of them down on here. I got Trevor Bauer, uh, Jake Orderizzi, Marcus Stroman, and then Mariashu Tanaka. So which one of these guys? If you could pick one, who are you signing? Oh, Trevor Bauer. Give me some Trevor Bauer. I, I love that guy. Like, I don't know how a locker room would take him because I feel like he's very outspoken, but I like that as, like, watching professional athletes my whole life. Like, he just tells it how it is or how he thinks it is, and I like that. And then you look at the pitcher, right? He's a career 390 ERA. This past year, he was very, very good. You know, he's on this this Reds team, and – he, he pitches 173 for an ERA this year, but was 5-4. and four. Like, you know, an offense that's going to figure it out in 2020 in Brewers, you get that type of production from Trevor Bauer, throw in Brandon Woodruff, throw in Corbin Burns, throw in Adrian Hauser, who I think is going to have a bounce-back year. It almost doesn't matter what happens with the rest of the rotation because, one, it's one guy, um, and, two... Those top three can carry you, and if Adrian Hauser has a bounce back year and is closer to what we saw, you know, 2018, 2019 rather than 2020, he's going to be a that that would be an incredible starting 
the top four in your rotation, and that's going to carry you to a lot of victory. Trevor Bauer is just a guy I love to watch pitch. I think he is incredible. Um, and he's another guy, you know, he's been in the league quite a while. His FIP and ERA are pretty close to each other. Again, that career ERA of just under four. Um, but he's had years where he's been really good. 2018, he was an all-star, sixth in Cy Young. He actually got some MVP votes. He was 22nd in that. He had an ERA of 2.21 that year. Got the ERA title this year at 1.73. Whip this year was 0.795. Like, he's a very talented guy. And one that I I just like the human as well. So that's a guy I like. But really, any guy on this list, I think... You know, you mentioned north of 20 mil for Tanaka, so that one feels like really like a pipe dream. All of these guys kind of feel like a pipe dream. Uh, but really any of these guys I think I would be more than happy with, but Trevor Bauer always stands out to me. Yeah, and Trevor Bauer, like as outspoken as he is, he's went on the Twitter machine and said, I only want a one-year deal. It just maximizes my value. So, <laughs> I mean, that really – that could play to the Brewers' favor this year. I mean, could they sign him for anywhere in that $15, $18 mil range? Maybe. I don't know if he goes to a bigger market. He's probably going to get north of 20 but they're going to want multiple years. So I guess that'll all depend on uh, what route he decides to go because, yeah. yeah, he was incredible this year. And and that makes sense, and that maximizes your value as long as you're good. You have to be good. And, you know, he's been, he's been in the league since – 2012 you know this would be his age 30 season so he's getting up to a point where it might make sense for him to you know you know maybe one more two more at max but then take like a three or four million dollar deal to really maximize his value so maybe he's got another one year deal in him milwaukee would be perfect that is completely fair um trevor bauer I don't know. I'm kind of split. Like, I really like him. He had a great year. He struggled a little bit in 19, um, but obviously this year we knew he was incredible. So, like, the one guy, if I could have picked out of the top of our list, I guess today, I'm just going to go with Marcus Stroman. I mean, obviously he has to stay healthy for it to pay off. Uh, But heavy sinker, really fast cutter. I mean, he just possesses elite-level stuff at elite-level velocities. And... It's just professional, knows how to knows how to get outs, eat up innings again when he's right. I mean, the strikeout numbers, not too terribly high. He's, he's going to – this defense is going to have to work with him and help him out, which I guess could be a little bit concerned with, with Keston there, obviously, at second. <laughs> um, but I, I really like Stroman. Um, whether or not we can fish him out of New York or not, I, I really have no idea. He's – He's probably going to get a good payday. I have written on here north of $12 million, so how far north, I don't really know. Yeah, and just another guy. Like, I just – Jake Odorizzi, to me, like, when I just thought of him and didn't look at his stats yet, I was like, okay, yeah, I would I would love that. Um, and definitely bringing him back to Milwaukee, who originally drafted him back in 2008, um, that would be fun. But – like, if you're going to spend all that money, like, the numbers don't really stand out to me. Like, there's there's a lot more of that inconsistency issues. A few, like, 
three years that his FIP was over five. Uh, last year it was over six. You know, that, so that's like a little bit concerning to me. Like if you're going to spend all that money, you have to have at least somewhat consistency. I think Trevor Bauer next to Jake Odorizzi is probably the least consistent of them if you take away injuries. So that's, a, again, a little bit concerning. But if you get a guy on a one-year deal and he's trying to take prove-it deals, you know, you, you put your money on Trevor Bauer because I do think he is a pretty talented guy. Uh, but to me, Jake Odorizzi is just a little bit into too inconsistent to be able to be like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend, you know, last year he's making 17 million. That seems maybe he's not gonna make that this year, but that seems like way too much money to be paying him there. If he was more in that, you know, eight to 12 million dollar range, I would say definitely think about it. Like that's a kind of close to our budget. Um, but at north of 12, anywhere north of 12, I don't think I would be a fan. Yeah, I completely agree. And Odorizzi was part of that really crazy Christian Yelich trade tree, if you remember that when we went through that. with, I think that was with Dr. Scott when we discussed it. So um, really cool history and connection there with Jake Odorizzi anyway. All right, have we touched on all of the uh, pitchers you wanted to discuss for free agency today? I think so. I, I did want to mention one internal option that I've been excited about. I, I've mentioned his name on this podcast before, of Dylan File. And I can, I can never remember who got us excited about that. I can't remember if it was uh, Jack Stern, David Gasper, or Matt Carroll. One of the three got us really excited about Dylan File. And that is a guy that if we can see him in 2021, I, w- I would love to see him. I I am really excited about him. You know, these other guys on this list I'm excited about as well, but that's one guy that I've been thoroughly excited to see in Milwaukee since that podcast that we talked about him. Again, I can't remember who who brought him up to us. I want to say it was Matt, um, but again, I can't remember for sure. But yeah, Dylan File, interesting part about him is he's not protected by the Rule 5 draft this year, so he needs to get added to the 40-man. Otherwise, I feel like some other team is definitely going to scoop him up uh, come this, you know, I think that's December when that deadline is. So. so before we leave, one quick question. Like, how much does not having a minor league season affect that rule? Like, are teams going to be willing to take chances? And I'm not thoroughly up on it, but it sounds like you have to have, if you take these guys, you have to have them on your active 26 the entire year, Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Um, so, like, after a after a year where you didn't get to see them pitch at all, like, you don't have any tape on them. Like, I, I just wonder how that Rule 5 is going to go. Like, do you really have to protect these players unless they're, like, you know, standout prospects? But, you know, Dylan File, I don't feel like is, is rated highly in the MLB Top 100 prospects or anything like that. So... Do you protect him? Yeah, maybe, but also at the same time, maybe not. Maybe because of that not having a minor league system, it helps the Brewers in that way um, that they don't have to protect as many players because teams aren't going to be willing to just go willy-nilly and and try to get these guys that they haven't seen now for over a year uh, and seeing them actually pitch or hit or whatever the case may be depending on their position. 
Yep, that's why teams are being really hush-hush about what happened at their alternative training sites this year because that obviously <laughs> would kind of change their views on certain players. So, But yeah, the, the decision-making process will be interesting to monitor as we progress here closer to December when that deadline is approaching. So with that being said, we are going to sign out here for today. We are going to talk about Josh Hader next week. Get ready for it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a good debate. Um, Trevor's going to be steaming all week thinking about it, I believe. (laughs) So until we're talking about Josh Hader next week, see you later, Brewer fans. Justin Stearns.